We've got another big episode of Swings and Mishes here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Jeremy and Mike can talk about everything that happened this past week with the Marlins, which would include some new coaches on the way, also some tweets sent out, a lot to get to, uh, updates on Victor, Victor Mesa, Victor Mesa Jr., a lot of discussion uh, headed your way here coming up on the five reasons podcast network but first and foremost want to remind you if you are betting on sports this weekend the only way to do it is to get the best advice you possibly can it's the secret weapon the betql app go to betql.co make sure you download the app it is completely free for android or apple i used it this past weekend when I took a trip to Mississippi, spent some time at the Hard Rock Hotel in Biloxi, and of course, had a big winner, as you saw on social media, with the New York Jets, one of their best picks of the week. Make sure you go download the BetQL app right now for all of your wagering needs, college, pro football, the NBA is coming, Major League Baseball, anything that you do, it's really interesting to see which way the lines are moving, the value bets, which way the public is on, and also it'll help you track your plays. It's the BetQL app download. Download it right now and start winning today. And thank you, Craig. Uh, I'm Jeremy Taché here on Swings and Mishes, joined by Michael Sunbake. Uh, that is at Dutch Bake on Twitter. Uh, Dutch Beak, if you're trying to spell it properly. Uh, and we are here to talk all things Miami Marlins. And then later on in the show, actually give you a bit of a uh, major league championship series preview. That's the ALCS. That's the NLCS. But uh, before we get started, Mike, how are you doing this morning? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, of course, man. It's great to have you back on the show. Um, and let's jump right into things here. Uh, the Miami Marlins, there's actually been quite a bit of news for a team that is not in the playoffs uh, during the playoffs here. Uh, there is no offseason as a Miami Marlins fan. That's entertainment no, for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and let's just start where everybody is thinking. Yes, there were the coaching changes and we'll get to that in a second. But the big story that everyone has been talking about is all of this international money and what it means for the man with two first names, Victor, Victor Mesa, uh, as well as Victor Mesa Jr., uh, his younger brother. And then of course, Sandy Gaston. Uh, for those of you who don't know, who might be tuning into this podcast for the first time, or just sort of learning about the Marlins or learning about this process in international uh, spending on amateurs. Victor Victor Mesa, Victor Mesa Jr. and Sandy Gaston are all young Cuban amateur baseball players. Um, they're top prospects, but Victor Victor Mesa at 22 years old, the outfielder, is the top international prospect in baseball. Uh, his younger brother, Victor Mesa Jr., uh, is not quite the same level of prospect. Neither is Sandy Gaston, the 16-year-old right-handed pitcher. Uh, but all three have been topics of conversation, especially around the Miami Marlins. Um, and, you know, three young Cuban kids in, in this type of area. We, you know, when, when we had Mike Hill on on our first episode of this show, he talked about how Miami should be a destination for international prospect, uh, prospects. So, Mike, um, I'm just wondering what your initial thoughts on the pursuit of Victor Victor Mesa, Victor Mesa Jr. and Sandy Gaston have been uh, thus far for the Marlins. Well, as a Marlins fan, it's refreshing to see this because usually the Marlins are the team trading away the international money to help other teams get these top prospects. So now for the Marlins to be contenders for two of the top 20 international prospects, it's really fun to see. And, you know, I think especially Victor Victor Mesa, 
they have to, man. Mm-hmm. He's going to be so fun. He's basically a five-tool guy. Right. And, you know, Cuban star, everything lines up so well for them that I think, like, they have to be all hands on deck with him. Right, and he's he's a great young player, and when you're going through a, a quote-unquote build, uh, you want to get as many good young players in your system as possible, but especially as a young Cuban product in this market. Um, and, and during this past week, since our last episode, uh, since our roundtable discussion, uh, the Marlins have made a couple of moves to try to pursue Victor Victor even that much more. Uh, they traded Ryan Lilly um, over to the Cincinnati Reds. They actually traded Kyle Bearclaw. Uh, if you remember, Kyle Bearclaw was at one point the National League reliever of the month, and they traded Kyle Bearclaw over to the Nationals just for international money. Um, I don't know how much money they were able to get back from the Nats. Uh, I know the number couldn't have been very high. I'm not sure how high the number was with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, but nonetheless, making both of those moves, is all of that is to bring the Marlins number on the international money that they could spend closer to the Baltimore Orioles. Going into this offseason, the Marlins had $4.3 million in the international allotment. That was the second most um, from any team behind the Orioles. The Orioles, I believe, are up at $6.7 million going into this whole process. And so the Marlins here have made a couple of moves to try to get closer to the Orioles on what that final number is. Um, There's no specific reporting on what the specific numbers are, but Craig Mish here of Swings and Mishes has told us that they are very close um, to what the number is for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I know that there's other teams coming in um, trying to make a push specifically the Tampa Bay Rays may try to make a push here to get Victor Victor or, you know, Victor Mesa Jr. or Sandy Gaston. What is interesting and what I think people might need to keep in perspective, uh, Mike, is I think there's a chance here that the only player that is signed through all of this is Victor Victor Mesa. There's very much of a chance and, and Craig um, in talking with Craig, he, he had this opinion as well. Um, and, you know, we were, we were discussing how this could happen is that there's a chance that Victor Mesa Jr. may have to go back into this process all over again next year. There's a chance that the same thing happens with Sandy Gaston. Sandy Gaston is not going to sign for millions of dollars. He's about a $500,000 player uh, at the moment. Uh, even though he's a top prospect, he did test positive for performance enhancing drugs and you know, there are some questions about him. Victor Victor Mesa is the real deal. He's the sure thing. And there's a very good chance that while everyone uh, on Twitter.com is just presuming that with the Marlins making these deals, it's to try to get all three. Uh, I believe there's a, there's a strong chance that this is just a push to be able to throw all of that money at Victor Victor Mesa. Because let's, let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, more than just Victor Victor Mesa needs to be paid in this process. There are agents, there are other people involved that it's not like the bottom line is going to be specifically just, oh, where do I want to play? Money is going to be a factor. And so the Marlins are doing what they can to get as close as possible to that Baltimore Orioles number so that signing here in Miami is worth it. And it's Honestly, like we talked about a little bit before we started this podcast, it's great to see. And as you mentioned at the beginning, it's great to see the Marlins trying to compete in going to get one of these top amateur free agents. I know you had kind of a, an interesting uh, you know, tidbit on part of that being uh, a Kyle Bearclaw trade, ironically. Yeah, I mean, it kind of hurts because 
a few months ago around the trade deadline, you probably could have gotten a top prospect for Bear Claw and the international cap money that they need. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just hurts a little <laughs> that yeah. you, you could have gotten extra for this rebuild, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, that said, I don't know. I, I was never uh, super high on Bearclaw. I know he has really good stuff, um, and I think he will be a nice fit with the Nationals, where he doesn't necessarily have to be their their top reliever. Maybe he's a setup man. Uh, Kyle Bearclaw was not to me someone that you were ever going to get top top prospects for. So. If it ends up coming down to it, and at the time, maybe the Marlins wouldn't have made a trade for international money. They would have just taken on a couple of maybe mid to lower level prospects in return for Bearclaw. If if his, uh, I don't want to call it a meltdown, but if his uh, second half uh, struggles. Regression. Yeah, it, regression, sure. If his regression ends up turning into the fact that you now deal him for international money that may very well put you over the top in getting Victor Victor Mesa and you don't have these other prospects. Yeah, I'm cool with it. Yeah. I'm no, cool with it. You know what I mean? Worth it. Yeah. Like it, it, it's worth it. And unfortunately I, I can feel that sting as a Marlins fan. You feel that sting of not being able to deal someone at the top of their market level at the time as free agency or not at free agency, as the trade deadline was approaching, I, I remember having conversations with multiple people about the Marlins and saying, why aren't they dealing some of these relievers? I've never understood why when you're not competing for the playoffs at a given time, when you're, when you're very clearly not going to be a playoff team, why you wouldn't just sell off every, uh, every reliever you have in order to build your farm system. Because to me, relievers can very much be a dime a dozen. You see teams build a bullpen in the span of a year and a half. Like oh, they can yeah. go from no bullpen to the best bullpen in the league because it's easy to trade a couple of prospects to get a reliever. That it's just a cycle, and so I've never, I didn't understand why they weren't making deals at the time. But maybe it ends up working out for the best in you know what we've what we've seen kind of go down here. Um, but moving on from the international money and what, what what's happening sort of in the off season to another off season move. Uh, it was reported this past week as well that the Marlins are letting go of four of their coaches. Um, that's Ty Hill, Frank Minichino, Juan Nieves, the pitching coach, and Perry Hill. Um, Perry Hill, a longtime Marlins coach, has been around qu- quite a while around this organization, known as one of the better infield coaches in Major League Baseball. Um, and it is a shame to you know, see him go. I know he had had quite uh, the word to say to Ken Rosenthal about the fact that he feels he'll be uh, hired relatively quickly, although he is not at the time we're recording this specific podcast has not been hired yet. Um, and Juan Nieves was, you know, a good pitching coach. Um, obviously, the team had its struggles at times. We just talked about Bear Claw struggling, but, you know, known to be a, a good pitching coach around the league. Um, you know, one thing that I did find interesting in regards to the Juan Nieves side of things was um, there seemed to be some sort of unnecessary shots taken uh, at the Marlins in the whole Juan Nieves situation uh, by Peter Gammons, of all people. Um, Peter Gammons, is, who's a guy that I've obviously admired from the time I'm a kid. He's one of the best out there in terms of baseball writers and has been for many, many, many years. But, you know, a, a few weeks ago, he took a shot at Dan Greenlee 
um, who we interviewed here on this podcast. Greenleaf seems to really know what he's doing in terms of turning this, helping to turn this franchise around, you know, using analytics within acquiring players for the Marlins. But Gammons um, on Wednesday tweeted, quote, nice of the Marlins to start talks with Roger McDowell for pitching coach job before firing Juan Nieves. He then on Thursday morning sort of clarified and said that the Marlins denied that they've addressed McDowell before firing Nieves, despite four calls contrary yesterday before a tweet, denial accepted, glad Nieves is a very good man. And I, you know, I'm not here to take shots at Peter Gammons. I just don't understand why Peter Gammons is taking shots at the Marlins uh, when, you know, Craig did confirm for us that that Michael Hill had not talked to Roger McDowell before firing Nieves. It just seems kind of out of the blue and kind of unnecessary to be taking shots at this team. Um, you know, that you're not around uh, very often. Um, and that's, that's not, again, I'm not trying to take any sort of shots or anything like that. I just, the national media and the national narrative around the Marlins uh, has definitely been something that is complicated because of the way that this, you know, last offseason all unfolded and the way that this offseason is going to continue to unfold. Um, it will be interesting to see. I just saw a report from Bob Nightingale um, that the D-backs are in a similar situation that the Marlins were last year where they're going to try to unload everything. And it will be interesting to see uh, what the national uh, sort of perspective is on that in comparison to the Marlins as the Marlins you know, have a reputation of tearing everything down constantly uh, where the Diamondbacks have but don't have that same sort of reputation. Yeah. Um, and sorry to ramble about all of that, but but speaking of... Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the legend, um, the one and only Arizona Diamondbacks reliever, Brad Ziegler, has retired. And this would not be a Craig Mish swings and misses without mentioning the Elmo fire emoji legend, Brad Ziegler. Uh, if you guys remember, Ziegler was with the Marlins for a few years before being traded during this season in July for right-hander Tommy Eveld, who we actually just recently interviewed. If you would like to hear the interview with Tommy Eveld, you can go to podbeat.com or Apple Podcasts and access our interview. But uh, that trade was made, and Brad Ziegler has announced his retirement. Uh, Eveld's pitching in the Arizona Fall League, but Ziegler, Ziegler's known as one of the best guys in baseball. Um, you know, I don't know, uh, Mike, if you have any specific Ziegler memories or, or comments that you would like to make, but I, I loved watching Brad Ziegler pitch. Uh, just his pure sort of exuberance. And he very obviously just every time he took the mound, felt honored to be out there. Um, and I really enjoyed being around him the little bit that I was around in spring training. He just seemed to have a great energy. Yeah. Um, he was fun to watch his delivery and everything was always fun to watch. I mean, it's unfortunate the results didn't translate to Miami like it did other other places, but you know, he, he was a great guy from what I saw on Twitter. I mean, I wasn't around like right. you were, but from what I've seen on Twitter and stuff, he always took accountability. He always seemed like he wanted to be here, which was refreshing. Happy for him that he's retiring on his terms. Exactly. It's special for professional athletes to be able to go out on their terms, and it doesn't seem like there's a guy that deserves that more than someone like Brad Ziegler. So, Congrats, Ziegler, on a fantastic career. We loved having you around with the Miami Marlins. Um, and we will miss the Elmo Fire emoji coming from Craig Mish's Twitter account. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, that is all we have on Marlins for the time being. But we will, uh, you know, Brad Ziegler wasn't in the playoffs. We will be talking about some teams that are in the playoffs, some relievers specifically, actually, that are in the playoffs, uh, and some former Marlins and how they performed and are continuing to perform throughout these playoffs. So stick around. Uh, Craig has a quick message for you, and then Mike and I will be back to talk the MLB Championship Series. All football season long, for those of you who have been wagering on sports, we've been telling you to go over to BetDSI.com, and when you put in your first deposit for anything that you're betting, you get value up to $2,500 match. It is a great deal, but you have to use the promo code SWINGS101. That's SWINGS101. You can bet anything over at BetDSI.com from where Jimmy Butler will end up to where Kevin Durant will play in a couple of years. All kinds of prop bets. If you think you get an edge, go over to BetDSI.com. Make your first deposit. They will match it up to $2,500. So again, for those of you who are wagering on sports, there's only one place to do it this football season, and that is BetDSI.com. Get in right now. Get your deposit bonus matched up to $2,500. You can bet on any sport, anytime, right now over at BetDSI.com. And welcome back to Swings and Mishes. I am Jeremy Taché, joined by Michael Sunbake. Um, we are going to preview the MLB playoffs or the rest of the MLB playoffs. That's the American League Championship Series and the National League Championship Series coming up for you in just a second. But before we do, uh, it's time to reflect, Mike. And it is time to look back at the American League Division Series between the Red Sox and the Yankees and a very specific part of that division series and that is former Marlin Giancarlo Stanton Giancarlo Stanton who struggled on the big stage for the New York Yankees um and before I get too much into my own you know little opinions here uh my Mike I would I saw you very active on Twitter about this topic uh that's at Dutch Bake for those who want to follow and I am I'm intrigued to know what your opinion is on on Stanton, his struggles, his future with the Yankees, and and that of the like. Okay, so yeah, like I was saying on Twitter yesterday, <laughs> Stanton, he had what you can argue his worst season offensively that he's healthy in this year. Fair. And he still had a year that a lot of people would love to have. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had a four-win season. He had 30, 38 home runs. You know, if, if you're an RBIs guy, he drove in 100 RBIs because that means mm. you're a good player, apparently. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he was his power numbers were insane. His bat speed's still insane. I mean, I think his future in the Yankees is so, – Great. Like, I think Yankee fans should still be excited that they have John Carlos Stanton and his Mm -hmm. contract is fair value for a Hall of Fame talent. Like, okay, you're going to maybe pay three washed years. Like, this is the thing that gets confused with John Carlos Stanton. They Mm want to they want to put him in that Ryan Howard, that Albert Pujols category where, okay, they become washed when they're 35, 36 Mm -hmm. and they just become unrosterable yeah and ryan howard was washed well before that but but i understand i understand the point that you're trying to make there but the difference with stanton is there's really no sign first of all he's only 28 right 
So there's no sign that he's going to be like that towards the end of his career because his walk numbers remain good, even though it's, it was the worst this season of his mm-hmm. career. It was still good. And his bat speed will – there's no reason why his bat speed won't remain elite. And now being him being in the American League and him being a DH, his body's not going to wear down. Right, his body is going to hold – well, and he's also built like no yeah, other baseball player I've ever seen. Yeah, and he's a crazy athlete. Like, he's in the top-tier category of athletes amongst all sports, just, mm-hmm. you know, physical-wise. So, right. I mean, there's no reason to say that he is going to be washed at 35, 36. And even right. if he is, you're still – that means you still got 10 years of Hall of Fame talent. At yeah. a good value. I don't disagree with you um, on the concept. He definitely does have Hall of Fame talent. Um, and the production has been there overall. I can understand where Yankee fans are frustrated with this season because here's the reality. What you got this year is Giancarlo Stanton. Giancarlo Stanton is a hot and cold hitter. Uh, I will argue that last year during his MVP season was the first time ever. Now, one of the first times he'd been healthy for a full season, right? So, you know, you could argue that maybe that's closer to the norm and that this is maybe an aberration. But Giancarlo Stanton is this guy. He's going to hit 40 homers. He's going to drive in about 100, uh, 100 runs. He'll hit about 260. And he's going to strike out a lot. Uh, And there will be months where he hits 350 and hits 20 homers in a month. And there will be months where he can't touch the ball to save his life, where he's hitting like 090 for a few weeks. That happens. That's what happens with a hitter of this style. Uh, And I think a lot of Yankee fans didn't really watch Giancarlo Stanton until they realized there was a chance they could trade for Giancarlo Stanton, which was last year. Right? So... They saw just the best of the best and expected that to transition. All things considered, you make a move from Miami where little to no one cared what you were doing on the national perspective, then to be traded to the New York Yankees where everyone in New York is focused on your every move and everyone in the nation, for that matter, because you've just won the NL MVP, is focused on your every move. I would call this season a success because Giancarlo Stanton was still one of the more dominant hitters. There was a moment where I was thinking that even with the struggles Giancarlo had to start the year, he should be getting some MVP consideration because when Judge was out of the lineup and Gregorius was out of the lineup and Sanchez was out of the lineup, he was carrying that roster. That said, what you saw in the American League Division Series is also Giancarlo Stanton, which is there are going to be moments where because he struggles to put the bat on the ball sometimes, and he is a strikeout type of hitter, he's not going to come through for you in some of those big moments. And that's not to say that he can't. That's just to say it's difficult to think that every single time Giancarlo Stanton is not actually Albert Pujols, right? Albert Pujols or Miguel Cabrera were guys that hit 300 when they were hitting 30 to 40 homers. Giancarlo Stanton hits 260. That's who Giancarlo Stanton is. And so I think Yankee fans may just need to temper the expectations a little bit on what they expect him to be 
all the time, right? There might be a year in the coming years where Giancarlo Stanton wins you a World Series because he gets hot during the playoffs and goes out there and absolutely dominates. But there are also going to be times where you see things like what you saw in this American League Division Series where he strikes out in crucial moments. Um, the one thing I will say, and I said it on Twitter, Starlin Castro would have put the ball in play. If I can say one, one <laughs> yeah. if I can say one thing about it, though, yeah, go for it. Go for I'm it. not trying to put on a Stanton cape here. No, but I mean, the game one mm-hmm. where I, I, I believe the bases were loaded, and it was late, and he was up. Mm-hmm. That pitch that Kimbrel pitched that threw at him uh-huh. was not being hit by literally anybody in baseball. No, Kimbrel's nasty. Yes, of yeah. Course. So, I mean, I think that is just thrown under the scope a little that just because it was John Carlos Stanton, he's going to get this Look, backlash. The, the guy's being paid more than anybody in baseball. You, you got you to gotta expect him to come through for you, right? I mean, that at-bat in game four with in the situation that he was in with an opportunity to tie the game with one swing of the bat, that's what you pay him to do. That said, and he struck out the way that every single person, it was very funny when that was happening. If you went on Twitter, on Miami Twitter, on the Twitter that we exist on, mm-hmm. there were, I think it was like six or seven tweets in a row. I saw Will Manso tweet something. I saw Seven Sports Extra tweet something. That's that's WSBN. I saw um, a couple of other journalists within the market all saying he's probably going to strike out an off-speed pitch low and away, right? Like we all know this. And then that's exactly what happened. Like, that was before the at-bat even started. If everyone in the room knows what's going to happen before it's happening, then why doesn't Giancarlo Stanton make an adjustment? I just think it's really difficult. Look, we're being really nitpicky. I'm being really nitpicky. You know, Giancarlo Stanton is a dominant, one of probably the 10 best hitters in baseball. I'm being incredibly nitpicky. But it is going to be interesting to see his adjustment. His whole career has been that. His whole career has been striking out on off-speed stuff, blow it away. Um, but, but enough on John Carlos, yeah. enough on John Carlos, yeah. let's transition to what's actually still going to happen <laughs> on the field. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it in the American league for now. Red Sox, Houston Astros. This is a juggernaut of a matchup. It almost reminds me. I know the Dodgers and Brewers are both very good teams, but it almost reminds me of last year where you had the Celtics and the Cavs in the East. And then you had the Warriors and the Rockets in the West and in, in the NBA. And it was like the Warriors and Rockets really should have been the NBA finals. The Astros and the Red Sox have been the two best teams in baseball pretty much all year long. Uh, The Astros are the defending World Series champions. Um, What are your initial thoughts on this series? You know, do you see any X factors? Do you see anything specific that you're looking for that might give one team an edge over another? Um, Well, first I'm going to say, like, this might be the most excited I've been for a non-World Series in a long time. I completely agree. Like, I'm super excited to, to the point where I'm not even, like, thinking of Dodgers Brewers. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for Red Sox Astros. But, um, you know, I think the Red Sox pitching is probably the biggest X factor. Right. Because, um, you know, obviously David Price has his struggles, whether that's random or not. That's a different argument. Um, yeah. You know, he has his struggles – the Sox bullpen had struggles at times in the regular season. So I think, I think that's the biggest X factor of this mm-hmm. series for the Red Sox to win is how well their pitching holds up. Cause we know they can hit like that's, right. we don't need to really even go into that because we just know they're great hitters, JD Mookie and all them. So right. 
yeah, I think the X factor is if they can pitch. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you on that. It, it, it specifically, I think it comes down to the starting pitching because it, it's Chris Sale in game one, it's David Price in game two, and that Astros lineup is just I don't know how anyone gets through that. And and it's crazy because the Red Sox Red, uh, Red Sox might have an even better lineup, uh, but that Astros lineup feels impossible to get through. So if you're gonna highlight the Red Sox pitching. I'll go the opposite route and highlight the Houston batting order. I think the X factor could be Carlos Correa uh, because Correa has not really had a great year, uh, all things considered. A lot of people were making him after last World Series, kind of the next coming, the next great superstar. Correa still very well could be that and probably is that. He is a superstar. He just happened to have kind of a down year. That lineup produces without him. Bregman has been remarkable this season. I mean, Alex Bregman has brought his his game to a whole other level. George Springer obviously is one of, if not the best leadoff hitter in baseball, um, has just been really remarkable. He had a couple of homers in the, in the ALDS. Uh, obviously, Jose Altuve maintains his consistency, and the rest of that lineup is great. But if Carlos Correa can produce near the level he did in last year's playoffs, I don't see a way that the Red Sox are going to be able to beat the Astros specifically because the Astros pitching rotation is remarkable. The, the Astros pitching rotation, when you can go Verlander, Cole, and Keuchel as your one, two, three, and you still have Charlie Morton as a four, if you decide to go with a fourth guy in a rotation, right? They might not, depending on the way this is all set up, they might just go with a three-headed monster and keep Morton in the pen. Even if they go with Morton, you still got McCullers out of the pen. The back end of their bullpen is unbelievable. I mean, I just don't see the Astros are built for success, and the Red Sox were the best team this season. The Red Sox just beat a very good Yankee team that after game two, I really thought the Yankees were going to take that series. Mm-hmm. And the Red, the Red Sox, I don't want to downplay the Red Sox, right? I don't want to downplay how good they are. But when I look at the Astros, I see no holes in that team. Yeah. And so to me, I think that the Astros are probably going to win this game or win this series in six games. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think it's, I think it's definitely going six and seven. I don't think it's something that, uh, Oh, certainly. Yeah. This is not a short series. Yeah. Um, what I'll say for the Red Sox is they need Nate Valdi to do that again. Yes. Yeah. if, If the back end, that is the, that is the thing. So I expect Verlander and Cole personally and, don't get me wrong, Chris Sale is nasty. But Chris Sale, it was it was good to see him rebound in the ALDS, but the way he pitched the second, not second half of the year, but the last month of the year, you know, he was a little hurt. He, was, he wasn't quite himself. Mm-hmm. I expect Verlander and Cole to get the better of Sale and Price. That doesn't necessarily mean that the Astros start this thing 2-0. and uh, But I expect them to out-duel, so it's going to come down to maybe the back of that rotation. Uh, for the Red Sox to maybe get them back in the series. So it will be interesting. Um, do you have a, a specific prediction? I'm going Astros in six. Just might as well. We might as well put these things out there, right? Uh, I'll go Astros in seven. All right. Astros in six, which means, uh, and Astros in seven, which means the Red Sox will win. Put all your money on BetDSI on the <laughs> Boston Red Sox because I am often wrong. Uh, now, moving over to the National League and another former Marlin we talked about, Stan, before. It's Christian Yelich. Uh, who, you know, that's 
likely NL MVP, Christian Yelich, and the Milwaukee Brewers going up against the LA Dodgers. Um, the Dodgers, man. The Dodgers looked good in round one. Uh, I know they dropped the game, but the Dodgers looked good. Uh, and obviously, so did the Brewers taking down Colorado with ease. Uh, I would I would argue that the Braves were a better team than Colorado, but, you know, who's to say? Uh, at the end of the day, this series is going to be fascinating. You got the huge payroll and huge market team in L.A., and then you got this team of, I don't want to call them misfits, but it's funny. They remind me so much of that Royals team from a few years back, and maybe it's because they have Mike Moustakis and Lorenzo Cain, so they basically are the Royals team from a few years back. Uh, what do you think is the, the big thing to look for in this series, Mike? I think for the Brewers, I mean, I think it's Christian Yelich has to continue being good. The pitching has to be good. I mean, I think they're winners of like 13 straight games now. Yeah, I can look that up while you talk and figure that out. Um, so, I mean, they got to stay high, and they, they got to do what they were doing versus Colorado. They dominated that series. They, I think there was that one, like, really close game. But besides that, it was really dominating. And for the Dodgers, I think also pitching, bullpen. I mean, you have Kershaw. That's always good to have. So, you know, I think the Dodgers – Hitters got to be good. Manny Machado has got to step up. Puig's got to step up, you know. And I think it's. I think that's all. This is also going to be a series that's doesn't end short. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, it's thirteen and fourteen, by the way, eleven in a row. Um, so you were basically exactly spot on. Um, I, I would say, um, and and obviously that's dating back to the regular season. There's been three playoff games. Uh, I would say with this series, what's going to be interesting to me, um, I think there's a couple of of kind of X factors here, right? The Brewers obviously do not have a great starting rotation. Their starters include Chassin, uh, Gio Gonzalez, Wade Miley. Uh, Not exactly guys that that you consider to be juggernauts, especially considering what the Dodgers rotation is contains um, yeah. rich hill as their fourth starter at the moment is is pretty insane you know kershaw going game one he was filthy filthy in the nlds trying to kind of uh you know we talked before about some of the struggles of certain guys like david price in the playoffs uh at least with the red sox it, goodness gracious clayton kershaw has really turned that narrative on its head right yeah i mean he's been dominant the last few times out there and so he's going out for game one I think the thing that's going to be interesting is to see the management of the pitching rotation for the Brewers. Uh, do they stick with some of this whole uh, opener stuff that we've seen where it's not a starting pitcher, it's an, a quote-unquote opening pitcher, and it's just a bunch of relievers that go a few innings apiece, or a couple of innings apiece even, for that matter, at times. Um, Which I like for teams like Bre- the Brewers. Yeah, and the Brewers actually might make that work. It, it, what I will say, actually, this is the thing. If you throw Gio Gonzalez out there, if you throw Yulis Chassin out there, that person, whoever that is, is not going to outduel Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. So in my opinion, in my, my humble opinion, you might want to start game one with the whole opener okay. and just going with relievers uh, situation up against Kershaw. Not giving up, but almost saying, okay, we're going to mix and match in this game. 
and think that that concept is going to lead us to victory over Kershaw so that that way we can throw the guy we consider to be our ace against your number two, yeah. right? Because there's going to be a game, at the very least one game, when the Brewers do this, you might as well do it off the top. Now, they might not. They might go with, with Chasim, but if you're going, you're going against Clayton Kershaw, you might as well mix and match and try to get all of the best matchups possible for your pitchers for against the Dodgers lineup right off the top. Um, so if, if I'm managing, if I'm Craig Council and I'm managing the Brewers, that's my approach going into game one. Um, so it will be interesting. I think that's kind of the key. How do they manage that pitching rotation? Um, and how do they, uh, you know, how, how do they go about mixing and matching against that Dodgers lineup? Uh, on, the, on the Brewers' offensive side of the ball, I think the key is actually, I don't think it's Yelich. Um, Yelich is going to have his production, right? Yelich is going to hit the ball. He's been hot. I, I don't think taking five days off is going to stop that. I think his confidence is through the roof, and I think he's going to continue to hit. Uh, what I'm actually interested to see is more the other outfielders. How, do, how does Lorenzo Cain perform out of the leadoff spot? How does Ryan Braun perform in this series? It's, it's the guys around, for that matter, how does Mike Moustakas perform? It's the guys around Yelich that are really going to be the X factors because if they can produce and the Dodgers try to kind of pick their spots with Yelich, those guys coming through in big situations and driving and runs is really might, it might be what helps the Brewers get over the top. And moving over to the Dodgers, I just talked about the pitching rotation. The pitching rotation is probably their greatest strength. Um, you know, Clayton Kershaw's got to deliver. Hinjin Ryu's got to deliver. Walker Bueller's got to deliver. Uh, but, and obviously Kenley Chan- Jansen as a closer is, is just about as good as it gets. What will be interesting to me in their lineup, and again, I'm, I'm not going to go with Machado or even Puig, it's Jack Peterson and it's Cody Bellinger, um, the young lefties in that lineup. How do they produce in the big situations when the Brewers have guys like Josh Hader on the mound, right? Because that's, that's what this is. This is going to be a close series. This is going to yeah. be a series that comes down to at-bats in big situations. And you got a couple of young lefties against Josh Hader might have been the best lefty reliever in all of baseball this year. Uh, he's going to be used. You know, they, I know they like to give him, you know, they don't like to throw him back to back days. Now is not the time uh, to mess around with that. He's going to be used and used a lot in this series in big situations. And when those two young lefties come up to bat, I think that will dictate how this series go. Will Jack Peterson, will Cody Bellinger and some of these other young guys in the lineup be able to produce in those big situations when they're facing one of the best left-handed relievers in the game. Um, all that being said, I think the Dodgers are a little, uh, they're just overwhelmingly talented. Um, I think the Brewers have had a nice run. I'm rooting for the Brewers. Um, actually, before the playoffs, I predicted Astros and Brewers in the World Series. I should probably stick with that. Um, and now that I'm saying all of this out loud, I guess I will, even though I, my brain is telling me that the Dodgers are going to win this series in six, I'll go Brewers in seven. So uh, that's where I'm at. What, what, what are you thinking, Mike? Brewers and sticks. Oh, man, Brewers and six, feeling confident. Yeah. Is there a specific re- – why do you think that the Brewers have I, – I mean, I know you mentioned some of those reasons just now, but is there you know, a single reason you think that they're going to win this, that, I guess, sort of quickly? I, I guess Brewers and six would be a shock to a lot of people. I'm just going off the baseball tradition of you need to get hot at the right time. Amen. And – they're hot at the right time. So I think they'll carry the wave into the World Series. And I don't think 
I don't know if we'll do another podcast before then, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're strong enough to beat the Astros, but I think they're strong enough and hot enough to beat the Dodgers. You know what else is hot at the right time? Swings and misses is hot at the right time. That's uh, <laughs> That was Michael Sunbake. Uh, I'm Jeremy Taché. Um, thank you all for listening to this podcast. Uh, we will be back next week. I believe Craig will be joining me joining me uh, with a special guest. And so um, stick around to follow us on Twitter at Swings and Mishes to learn more about uh, when that news may be announced. Uh, Mike, thank you again for joining me. And thank, thank, you, you, all for, thank you all for listening. Hey, Juice, so October is here, and in my mind, that means only one thing. It is almost time for my favorite event of the year, and no big surprise, but it's an O.J. McDuffie party. Hey, you know it, Big Seth. The 17th Annual Signature Grand Ghoul presented by Calvin Giordano and Associates will take place on Monday, October 29th, and once again benefits 211 Broward, an amazing charity. We are transforming the Signature Grand into a 100,000-square-foot mansion for the sickest Halloween costume party in South Florida. And this costume party is for the grown folk, Big not people. the kids, yeah. We're talking open bar, amazing food, dancing, silent auction, and of course, contests and prizes for the most incredible costumes. And since the fish tank will be all up in the ghoul, as will a bunch of other hosts from our Five Reasons Sports family, let's do a little something special for the listeners. So what we need you to do is post a photo in your all-time greatest Halloween costume, tag your favorite Five Reasons Sports podcast, and use the hashtag DiveIntoTheGhoul. And the top four costumes will have a chance to win two tickets to the Signature Grand Ghoul on that October 29th. For more information on how you can join OJ and me at the Signature Grand Ghoul, visit 211-Broward.org and call 954-390-0493 and ask for Tracy.